Our New Testament reading is from John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Let's pray. The psalmist says, the words of the Lord are flawless. Lord, please speak to our hearts as we look at what you have to say to us today. Amen. <clears throat> it's very hard to give people bad news. Uh, it's one of the hardest parts of my job as a surgeon to say, I'm sorry, the cancer's come back. Yet sometimes it needs to be said. Now here we are, we're coming up towards Christmas to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Yet how few people today really understand what Jesus came 
to be and to teach us. How often you hear sermons talking about the, the love of God for everybody. Uh, they forget God's judgment. Have you ever heard a sermon on God's judgment? Man is destined to die once, the Bible says, and after that to face judgment. We're all going to face judgment. But the bad news is always tempered by the good news. So, as that verse goes on, Hebrews 9, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Now let's get the setting for this reading in, in John 8. Uh, Jesus was teaching at this seven-day festival, the Festival of Tabernacles, a very jubilant feast. The, uh, the court where his teaching was the court of women, where the, you had the 13 trumpets, the money boxes that people would put their contributions in. And that's all to one side of the colonnaded court. The rabbinical writers uh, tell us that there are four massive lamps set up in the corners of this court for this feast on a tall post. And at the top, there's a 65-liter oil sort of cauldron with bits of old priest's clothes used as the wicks. And at night, this would give a glorious light, not just to the temple court, but the whole temple and to the around, around surrounding bit of Jerusalem. Now, the flames were, of these lights were, were glorious. The whole feast was one of light and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for God's mercy. Uh, the Mishnah, which is a record of the oral traditions of Judaism that were written down in the third century but referred to earlier, said this about this feast. Men of piety and good works used to dance before them with burning torches in their hands, singing songs and praises, and countless Levites played harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, and instruments of music, and they danced the night away, clear to the dawn. It's, it's a jubilation. But these lights also reminded people of the great pillar of fire that... Uh, led the people through the wilderness. God's presence was with God's people, just as it represented the Shekinah glory of God, God's presence in the holy place. Now, you've got the scene. It's into this court that Jesus raised his voice and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. If you don't know the context, it doesn't quite make sense. Jesus is emphasizing that he is God. He's God's very presence with his people. <laughs> the religious leaders of the time, the, the Pharisees, obviously hated this teaching. Jesus makes it abundantly clear, though, that he and his heavenly Father are one. Look at verse 19. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. 
We're the same material. And he repeats this uh, a few months later at the Feast of Dedication when he says, I and the Father are one. That's the Christian message. Now you can just feel this great tension now that's building up in this court. Jesus is saying that to reject him <coughs> is to reject God. <laughs> he goes on, I have much to say in judgment of you. How people hate this teaching. Jesus doesn't mince his words to these religious people, the equivalent of the churchgoers. He goes on. Once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Now, they didn't understand and Jesus explains why. You are from below, I am from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. These are terrifying words. You just see it. You will indeed die in your sin. You religious people, you're trying to get right with God by going to the church, going to the synagogue, doing your religious duties. It's like the ladder. You know, we try to please God by climbing this ladder, doing things that will, we think will please him. But it's impossible. Perhaps some of you have remembered that great verse in Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. The Lord has come down the ladder for us. He's made us right with God if we belong to Jesus. That's the gospel. But these people wanted to please God themselves. So three times he warns them, you will die in your sin. It's a hard teaching. And then twice in verse 24, I told you, you would die in your sins. If you do not believe I am, you will indeed die in your sins. That the he actually isn't in the original. What, what faith, <laughs> what, what fate, I mean, could be worse than to go through life and then reject the rule of Christ and then to hear those awful words, I have much to say in judgment of you. Do any of us want to hear these words said of us? To die in our sins means to continue in a very pleasant but deep-seated innate rebellion against God and his son. It's so difficult to really sink into us the <coughs> shocking nature of these words. You'll never see them on a tombstone. 
<laughs> you, you'll see on the tombstone of people who've, uh, who are Christians, you know, she died in the faith. Uh, he died trusting in his savior. Tell me, have you ever seen a tombstone saying he died in his sins? I bet you haven't. What can be worse than to die unforgiven, making admission to God's presence, to God's eternal kingdom, impossible? This is why we need to share this message. Have you heard of Thomas Paine? He was one of the founders of the United States, an ardent atheist. He wrote the, the book, The Age of Reason. And he taught that to be a Christian was unintellectual. Yet on the day he died, 1809, this is what he, he said to those people at his bedside. I would give worlds if I had them that the age of reason had not been written. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? But, but there is no God. But if there is, what's going to become of me in the hereafter? If ever the devil had an angel, I have been one. Contrast this with the words of uh, that Christian poet, Isaac Watts, he, he wrote the hymn, O oh God, I help in ages past. On the day he died, he said this, It's a great mercy that I have no manner of fear or dread of death. I could, if God please, lay my head back and die without a tear this afternoon. That's actually what he did. He knew that God's judgment on him had already been taken by the Lord Jesus who'd come down to die for him. So, great tensions. Great truths about the two destinies that we face. The Pharisees, like many people today, overlook the warning of Jesus. Where I go, you cannot come. As you know, they thought he was talking about dying, possibly suicide. Jews believed that to commit suicide would automatically mean that you go to hell. Josephus wrote a very interesting quote about that. That the Pharisees will be thinking, we can't follow him to hell. Not realizing that Jesus uh, will ascend to glory in heaven. And that they, the religious ones, would be going to hell. Jesus goes on to give the reason for this separation. You are from below. They're religious, but they're from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I don't know if you know, the, the Greek word cosmos, translated world here, uh, comes 186 times in the New Testament. And every time it refers to the evil world system that's opposed to God. So to say you're of this world is means you're against God. So just as oil and water can't mix, 
So God's kingdom is utterly different from the world. People living now with worldly ambitions are worldly. Jesus is not of this world. Some people, like the, the Pharisees, will come up with excuses. I don't know if you know the C.S. Lewis's uh, great book, the, the Great Divorce. And it's a, a busload of people uh, come up from hell to visit heaven. Uh, they're rather ghost-like beings uh, from the underworld who feel most uncomfortable in the real world where there are now real, solid people. <laughs> There's a theologian on the bus uh, from hell, and he gets into a conversation with an old friend from his theological college who's in heaven. Uh, the reason is clear. The group that lived for this world are in hell. The group that live for God are in heaven. And no one can follow Jesus uh, to his kingdom in heaven unless they're living for his kingdom now. It's quite clear, isn't it, in the Bible. So what does Jesus want all of us to understand from this? We've got to make a permanent decision to live with and for God as his Messiah. The Lord Jesus is Lord of all. And that means now, today. As it says, do you remember the Vanity, some of you with Anglican backgrounds? It, uh, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit who enters our lives that when we, who comes in when we ask Jesus to be our Lord and our Saviour, we know that the Holy Spirit changes us. We just finished going through Philippians here. And there Paul distinguishes the two ways of living. And again, we are warned. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's talking to church people. Many in churches live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. It's tough news, isn't it? How can we change, or, or better, how can we be changed? Now, back in John 8. The next statement of Jesus here is quite staggering. In the, in the original, the meaning is very clear. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. No, he. You will indeed die in your sins. So, some translations actually add the words, I am who I claim to be. Remember when Moses met with God at the burning bush? He asked God his name and the Lord said, I am who I am. That's what you're going to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. So Jesus is here clearly using the name of God. 
He is equal to God. He keeps saying this. The Bible emphasizes that in heaven we will be worshipping both Jesus and the Father. They sit on the same throne in Revelation. This is one reason why the, the doctrines of groups like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are, are so away from what Jesus taught. They're saying, come on, climb the ladder. The Bible teaches that God has done it for us. And Jesus is saying here, if you do not believe that I am, he is God, you will indeed die in your sins. Only God can forgive our rebellion against him and his son. So the choice is ours today. It's a, a choice for those living in Jesus' day, just the same. Recognizing who Jesus is and giving him the control of my life is the key to entering the kingdom of God. There is no other key. This isn't a, a matter to be toyed with. If we say he is Lord, he must be Lord of all. Today, people are flippantly talking about eternal life. They put on an act and say, oh, that I'm not concerned about these things. <laughs> they will be later. People talk about meeting Peter at the pearly gates and tell some joke. But even that portrays a deep concern that there is something there. Something happens after death. But Jesus here is not joking. It's no joke to die in our sins. To die without being forgiven. It's one of the differences between us and animals, isn't it? No animal fears death like we do. We fear death because it's a, a pathway into the unknown. And it's our sin, our willful rebellion against God's rule, that makes the prospect of death so worrying. Remember Paul says, the sting of death is sin. Rebelling against God. It's a real disaster to hear modern preachers saying to congregations, particularly at funerals, don't worry, you have nothing to fear. God's a God of love. God is indeed merciful. But it's from the lips of Jesus that the warnings come, loud and clear. If you do not believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sin. So, great tensions, great truths, and now the greatest question. One we need to get talking with, with our friends, families. Who are you? Verse 25. <laughs> Any person now who speaks about this idea of judgment is undoubtedly going to get an adverse reaction. You know, who are you to speak like this? You know, politicians have a hard time, don't they? Why do you stand up for Christian values? And many of them don't know how to answer. Well, the only reply is surely, this is how Jesus, the Son of God, spoke. Then the question is, well, who is Jesus? 
the people, the politicians who get themselves in all sorts of a mess because they've lost the authority of Jesus and his word. Why don't they just say why sex outside marriage is wrong? Promiscuity is wrong. Because Jesus teaches these things. These are signs that people are rebels against God. Reject God and his ways and you will die in your sins. Who are you? That's the key question. There's no more important question anyone can ask. Jesus tells us what is exactly in the mind of God, our creator. What's the proof? Well, the proof is his resurrection. That's how we know that serving Christ is eminently sensible. It's the wisest thing we can do. Look, look at 28. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am. Yeah, kill me. See the way I die. See my resurrection. Jesus is the embodiment of God. And what he says is what God says. But then look at these words in 29. Just wonderful words. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. So when Jesus faced troubles, he knew his father was with him. When we face troubles, and we will, we know Jesus is with us. God says to his followers, keep saying it, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It says in Deuteronomy, it's repeated in Hebrews, never will I leave you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I belong to the Lord Jesus. I belong to God. So, what responses? It's bad news, this passage, for people who've not bent the knee before the Lord Jesus, who reject his rule over my life. And we all know that by seeing how we behave in our private lives when no one sees us. Well, we may be religious, but we can still face eternity without God. But look at this last verse, verse 30. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Isn't this wonderful? So may we all go out from here determined to live with and for the Lord Jesus, to have him in the driving seat of our lives and determined to pass on this message to other people. Do take a a handful, as Chris mentioned, of these envelopes. Give them to friends. Get them discussing what's in, in the card and in the message. Invite them to come and hear again this message that in Christ we have everything.